0: Right, guys let's settle down let's settle down this is a playoff like atmosphere there is a ton at stake right now in all that we have done all that we've worked for all the tears all the sweat yeah. all of the late nights yeah. all of the dirty diapers yeah. Yeah. taylor where you at Yes, what do you do when your kid throws a temper tantrum at H E B? Give him what he wants so he'll shut up and stop bothering me! Wrong! Shepherd their hearts, not their behavior! Edwards, what do you do when the chores don't get done? Uh, just let my wife do it. It's faster. Wrong! Promote personal responsibility and a Godward orientation! It sounds difficult. What?! What are you going to do when you got a 26-year-old man-child in your basement, doesn't have a job, playing video games, taking up all your Netflix queue? Does that sound like a good plan? No, no, not now, Jerry. No. Williams. Hang on. Yes, sir. What do you do when your kid gives you lip? You give them lip right back. Raw! Teach them to submit to authority. Hey, you submit to authority, man. Jerry, still not now. This right now, this is our house. This is your house. This is what you need. Jerry, now would be the time. All right, let's go. Let's get out here and let's go step the heck fire out of these kids. Let's go.
1: Honestly, I didn't go looking for a coach video. I just stumbled upon that and I thought, boy, that would be great. you have my wife look at it and make sure it would be appropriate, but uh, a good pep talk there. Uh, we have some different verses we'll be looking at uh, this morning uh, Proverbs, Ephesians, and a Deuteronomy. And as, I, as a way of introduction, uh, I'm going to read to you an account a lady gave of a typical day. In her household and just pay attention and see if this reflects a day you may had yourself she says last night I repeatedly asked Addie to go to the restroom before bed and she repeatedly asked Peyton to stop throwing Addie's pillows now when neither of them listened to them Peter her husband yelled from the shower If you don't do what your mommy says in three seconds, you can both sleep in the basement tonight. Now five minutes later after that, Peyton was tantruming. I just thought she made up that word, but she says in her house, it's a verb. It's tantrum, but add an ing on the end. Tantruming. You ever had a tantruming in your house? (laughs) And kicking Peter as he was trying to put her pull up on, And he said, quit that Peyton, or I'll give your bedroom away and you can sleep in the bathtub from now on. She goes on to say, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's when Peter tosses idle threats at the kids. It drives me completely nuts. It's just so mean. Never helps a situation. And of course, the kids don't buy it at all. Like we ever let them sleep in our unfurnished basement or in the bathtub. And she says, I end up getting mad at Peter. And he gets mad at me for not backing up his shenanigans, and we end up ticked off at each other. And she says, that's when I get mad at him, I admit it, she says, I end up swearing. And there's one thing that her husband cannot stand is when she begins to swear and use those four little words in front of her children. She goes, I think yelling idle threats at the kids is terrible parenting and way worse than my sometimes, as she calls it, trucker mouth. (laughs) He thinks swearing in front of the kids is terrible parenting and way worse than his ridiculous threats. I get upset when he refuses to let the kids watch their show. I'm not making this up. And he puts on the particular show. And you know what it is? Golf. He gets upset when Peyton's tantruming and I give in. I get mad when he tunes everything out, especially when he's in front of the TV watching golf and ignores and does not intervene when the kids are fighting right in front of him. He gets mad. I don't have a whole lot of patience, and the kids do things that kids do. For example, after you clean the kitchen up, they go right back in there and mess it up all over again. And so on and so forth. Does that that explain maybe a typical day or a one particular day you may have had in your house? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody. I see a little bit of shaking of heads. Thank goodness it's not like that all the time. You know, the world of parenting is one of three major sources of marital conflict. And there's an acronym that goes with it. Bear with me. PMS is the acronym. The sources of three major conflict in marriages. PMS. So what they are? Parenting, money, and sex. Three areas of major conflict. And there's three areas areas of major conflict when you're parenting. Number one is sleep. When will the kids go to bed? Number two, food. What will they eat? We've had some rounds on that one. <laughs> and discipline. How will the kids uh, be corrected? How will they be disciplined? Um, just as a side note, I have found out things that get Tammy upset, my wife, I seem to let slide and things make me upset. She let slide. So there's a balancing act there. But you have to be sure you're on the same page when it comes to discipline. Well, actually, all three of these. And one reason parenting conflicts is that each partner brings a parenting style into the family that often conflicts with each other. It's not just that men and women have different outlooks on parenting. But they also have different styles, and there is a graph up here that shows four parenting styles. And some of the the uh, print up here is really small. You have permissive. Uh, they avoid confrontation. Let's be friends. Few rules. Low expectations. Let me tell you something. Don't ever lower the bar for your kids. If you expect nothing, you get. If you expect low expect, if you have low expectations, you'll have. Low outcome. The opposite side of that, you have authoritative, uh, high expectations, sometimes so high they're unrealistic. Uh, You have clear standards, very assertive and responsive. And you notice on top of this is all high high responsiveness on top, and on the bottom, on your right side or your left side, excuse me, uninvolved, completely absent. You're on your own. And one thing that I believe it's wrong with our country. We have a lot of uninvolved parents, period. No one's at home. No one seems to care. They're absent and they're neglectful. Spend little time, very passive, not involved in their kids' lives whatsoever. Then you have authoritarian, very high vexation, clears rules, punishment, little warmth, and the famous line that every parent says, and I know it, I said it when I was Little, I said, I'll never say that to my kids, but it came out of my mouth anyway, because I said so. All right? to add a little more line to it, I'm your father, I brought you into this world, and I'll take you out. Have you ever seen anything like that? Yeah, so you, you become your parents, don't you? I mean, it's tough to come out and your oh man, I sound just like my dad. I sound just like my mom. But it is true. It was basically four different Types of parenting styles. So some break it out to five, some maybe five or six, I found, but this is basically, so, kind of identify yourself. Where do you fall? Now, you don't have to be in this one particular group, perhaps, depending on the situation, it may differ. Uh, depending on what, what, you know, if a kid gets a bad report card, if a kid gets in a fight, if a kid, uh, takes your car, jewelry uh, so on and so forth. <laughs> My daughter's back, don't you say anything I did. Uh, but you may follow a little, both of those, but this information perhaps you knew about, but I want to put it up there because that does come in conflict when you're married, understanding and how you grew up, all your experiences and, uh, things you went through as a child. That's all going to, to inform how you parent. So you need to make sure that you and your spouse are on the same page. Now I do believe we need principles for parenting that we can agree upon. Principles that will guide our children and uh that we can uh, pursue but to that end we've been looking at parenting styles and basically what the world's telling us but how about what does the bible teach about the role of a parent we're going to learn that parents have a very important role because they listen to me they are the primary instructors of their children they are the primary ones who instruct their children in all things it's not the school's job it's not the church's job. It's not the police job. It's our job as parents. And by the way, that job never stops. It just, you never get to spike the ball and go, ooh, I'm done. No, it just keeps on going and going and going. But we are the primary instructors and we need to train them calmly but assertively in the things of God and teach our children those things of God have the highest value and they are a way of life. That's how to conduct your life by what God has told us. So we see the parents are the primary instructors of their children. We see this in one particular verse, perhaps a verse that's best well known for parenting, and it's Proverbs 22, 6. Now, this verse does not come out black and white pervade them, say parents are the primary instructors, but when you put it along other Key verses in the Bible, you'll see that it becomes very clear. Proverbs 22:6 states, "Train up a child in the way he should go, or she should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it." We are to train or instruct, and when you look at this verse, and we'll look later at Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians chapter 6, it becomes very clear. That it's the parent's responsibility to instruct, to train, to discipline their children. The home is the basic building unit. It all begins at home. Our country has really fallen apart because you can look around you, and when you see those incidents happening, most of the time it's because there's problems at home, we used to start teaching children at a very early age the difference between right and wrong. Now, this particular verse, if you look at it in the Hebrew, it will literally state train up a child, here's a preposition, according to his way. That's not saying let the child do everything he wants. What's being communicated here is that you train your child using vocabulary concepts and illustrations that they understand. That doesn't mean it should be tailor-made for each individual child, but you have to speak in which a child understands. Children don't understand abstract concepts. You have to teach them something concrete, something they can touch, something they can see, something they can feel, something they can smell. Teach them in the way they can understand. And we need to begin teaching them and training them Very early, as early as possible. And the parenting style must fit the child. After all, some kids need more rules than others. Some need more affirmation. Some are sensitive and some are insensitive. The point here, not every child is the same. And how you instruct that child must fit that child. Now, if you want to see that be played out, come here on a Wednesday night with blast kids. Some kids, they'll just start crying if you look at them the wrong way. Some kids will just start doing whatever. You can yell to them all day long if you're blue in the face, they're gonna continue what they're gonna do. Some people pick up some kids pick up stuff like this. Some kids need a little more instruction. Now, not one kid's better than the other. We need to recognize that and instruct them in a way that they can understand. Now, this verse is not a guarantee. Did you hear what I just said? This verse is not a guarantee. There's been many good parents out there who've raised their kids properly, taught them, and the kid rebels. Most of the time, that that child will come back, but there's no guarantee that they will. See, as a parent, once that kid reaches an age of accountability, that's on to them what they do with it. What we need to stand before God one day and to tell him, we trained my daughters, Lord, in the way you instructed me. And that all falls on me as a pastor. Lord, you know I preached your word the best of my ability. I gave the people what they needed to hear. I told them what you told me to tell them. And what they do with it is up to our kids and what you do with God's truth is up to you. Now, most of you have been coming to church for a very long time. You've heard the gospel many, many times. So guess what? You don't have any excuse. And I know outside this place, if you're listening to Christian radio, if you're listening to any talk radio, like one hundred point seven is a word. They have a lot of great preachers on there. If point being, you've heard the message and what you do with it, it's up to you. So our kids. Now I know it's hard. The hardest thing I've learned to do is to let go of my daughters and say, Okay, God, they know right from wrong. They know Your way. They're not really mine to begin with. You gave me to them. You allowed me to raise them, allowed me to be their father. God, I turn them over to you and pray for your protection. And one day when Mr. Roder gets that way, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And by the way, if a kid rebels and the parents have done everything they can, it's not the fault of the parents. Let me tell you. I've known some parents who have literally got down and cried because of their kids. And I'm not talking about, I'm 52, in case you're curious. I'm talking people I know who are 10 years older than me. I saw an, an 85-year-old man break down and cry because of his son. That never stops. It just never stops. Now, we are to calmly but assertively train our children. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Give me a moment as I pull it up myself. We're going to read through that together. I know you've heard it before. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll walk through to verse 4. I'm reading out of New American Standard. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And look at this promise. And that you may live long. Oh, excuse me. Which is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, here comes a promise. So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I hate to admit this to you this morning, but that verse has been quoted to me more times than I care to remember. Don't provoke your children, Timothy. Yes, ma'am, I will not. Just saying. Children who honor and obey responsible parents, responsible parents, live longer and better lives. That's what this is telling us. But that promise is reiterated several times in Scripture. Now, I believe it, too, because it's in Scripture, but we can look around and see the evidence right before our eyes. Because we know kids who behave just do better. Kids who behave do better in school. They do better in their jobs. They do better in life. Now, John Rosemond, who's an author and child psychologist, affirms this. This is what he says. He says he recommends parents give their children more vitamin N. N as in Nancy. You know what the N stands for? No. He, rec- he recommends that uh, you do that more. He points out that one of the major contributions to child misbehavior and depression is parental overindulgence. And that leads to a lot of forms of addictions on its own. So there's times you need to say no. Let me tell you, though, when he's about four or five years old and he starts throwing a fit, Sometimes it's is easy to give what he wants. Hey, I'm being honest. I, sometimes I'll just give Allie what she wants so she'd be quiet. You come in and you've had a long day at school. You've been coaching and talking to kids all day long and he's screaming and Courtney, get, take care of your son. Seeing they're bad, it's your son. When they do something good, it's her son. Have you figured that out yet? <laughs> that goes for you in the room. Go talk to your daughters. What do they do now? I don't know. Make me the bad person. <laughs> But um, sometimes it's easier to say, but we have to stand firm and tell them no. Parents should uh, provide firm guidance without exasperating. Now, that word provoke or stir up, it's translated in IV, exasperate. In fact, uh, New King James puts it, do not provoke, not, not just the anger, but also wrath. Now, how do we do that as parents? Well, we do it by the way we treat them. Through things like overprotection, favoritism, unrealistic or in- inconsistent expectations, no encouragement, making them feel unwanted, using love to manipulate, or physical or verbal abuse. Now, parents do that first and foremost as a father. I can speak of being a dad. It's downright sobering to know how much damage you can do. But let me tell you, some of you in here are teachers and coaches. Those kids are looking up to you. They're watching you. I go well, before COVID, hit I go in the cafeteria and all those kids would say, "What? Hey PT." That's my nickname at school. It starts from Pastor Tim. "Hey PT." And they're watching me. And guess what? when you come to this church and they know you're a Christian, they're watching you too. Let be careful how we treat kids. they're our greatest resource they're they're going to be running the country when I'm in a nursing home. Think about that next time you're coaching those girls in volleyball that'll keep you up at night, won't it? But our job is and I, can I just I am so thankful that I have such a great relationship with the superintendent and a lot of the coaches and teachers at Forest ISD. I love the relationship we have with that school. What a great mission field. What a great way to help come alongside the school and help educate and train these kids so they can go out into the world and make a difference. Really, all these things I named off as extreme, extremes of over permissiveness or being authoritarian you have to be Even killed parents are to teach train their children to love and obey God If there's one thing I can instill in you today as parents and most of you have done this and continue to do This is to make sure and tell your your kids to love God love them with all their heart soul mind and strength because when they love God everything else will fall into place. It's true, right? If our vertical relationship with God, our Creator, is on par, doesn't mean we're perfect. We stumble, we fall, but our relationship with Him is there. Then all relationships horizontally will fall into place. That's one area that I wish I would have done a better job with my kids. Because sometimes... (laughs) God allows you to get into a, a place and he's going to test your patience or test your love just to see where you fall. I can't tell you how many times I've preached from the pulpit. It doesn't matter what subject we're covering. And I find myself that same afternoon with my daughters and my wife in a situation that, let's say, is kind of bad. And I can <laughs> and sometimes I feel miserably. Uh, maybe I shouldn't tell this story. A long time ago when Brooke was just a little kid, we're driving up I-35. You ever driven up I-35 going through Denton? Fun experience, isn't it? <laughs> I meant that sarcastic by the way. And as we're going up, someone cut me off. And let's just say my choice of words weren't the greatest. So we're going up to Denton and there's a Dairy Queen still sits there today across from the QT. You, if you come in north, you make a left go 380 going 380, Gordon towards Decatur. And we go in that Dairy Queen and we got some ice cream and Brooke was probably about this tall at the time, just a little thing. And this guy walks right in front of him. He's a big old burly guy, like a man's man type. And she looks out at him and repeats the same thing I just said to that driver. I thought, ooh, I'm going to get my butt whipped today. And Tammy said, you deal with it. I reached down, I picked her up, I said, baby, that's a bad, terrible thing to do. I should have never said it. I tell you what, I won't say it, and you don't say, it. okay, Daddy. That's all I had to say to her. But kids will pick up stuff and they repeat it. They'll also throw you under the bus. My granddaughter told Tammy and I just yesterday, well, two days ago, I think it was, we're just sitting around eating, having a good time with them, and Madison looks after me and goes, my mom and daddy fight. Well, they fight over it because they're buying a house. They're fighting over the new house. I mean, just that, 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 that give us information like that. So this I'm just telling you be careful. I think I'm going to get flack for that right now so we over the internet. Pray for me. Uh one thing that we've always done as parents is we always valued being a Christian presence for our daughters. Uh we made sure we're always a key part in their lives. That's very important. And I'll since it was your dedication, you got to be careful what you say from the sidelines, too. I know it's hard, brother. I know. But the point being, that little, that little boy right there is looking up to you. Actress Sarah Drew, who's appeared on Gray's Anatomy, spoke to this, what I'm talking about, and illustrates it this way. She said, quote, The stay-at-home mom, or any mom, has the terrifying holy charge of raising up little eternal beings into people who will encounter the world either through kindness and grace or with malice and indifference, I cannot think of a more important job. And yet our culture rolls rolls their eyes at these women. Our culture says they have given up on doing anything important with their lives. The greatest thing motherhood is teaching me is how to be present, she says. It's very easy for me to get buried in my phone, to check emails and texts and my Twitter feed. When I'm not present in my life, I miss out on the beauty that is surrounding me. I forget to be grateful and instead whine and complain about how things are not going according to plan. Meanwhile, my son, who is fully present, is busy laughing with glee as the leaves, at the leaves he's chasing and at the game he has invented. In other words, stop, take a breath, look around. And I cannot think of a more important thing to do than to raise children. It's so important. Not, not, think about what she said. She cannot think of a more terrifying holy charge of raising up little eternal beings into people who encounter the world either through kindness and grace or with malice or indifference. This is coming from an actress in Hollywood. Kind of blew me away that she actually said that. I, I tried looking up and see if she was a professed Christian. Or not. I could never find it, but I thought, wow, that's exactly what I'm saying here. Now let's turn over to the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter six. And bear with me as I turn there. Deuteronomy chapter six. Starting in verse one. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey." Hear Israel the Lord your God the Lord is our God the Lord is one You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your might These words which I command you today commanding you today shall be on your heart You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up You shall bind them as a sign on your hand as they shall be on your frontals on your forehead You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. Godly parenting is a 24-7 way of life. The well-being of Israel was tied to responsible parenting, and the same thing holds true for our country, the United States. We especially see it in relationship to fatherhood. When the father is daily involved in the life of a child, the child tends to do far better. And, of course, the breakup of marriages and the increase of followers' homes have only increased our social ailments, which we see happening around us. What do we need to do? We need to strengthen our families and encourage responsible parenting. Don't mean to go browbeat them tell them what they done wrong. You meet them where the people are and encourage them to be involved in their children. Give them tools and resources they need to strengthen their families. Good parenting teaches children to know and obey the Shema, which is verses 4 and 5. That was taught very early in the Jewish home. And this is exactly what Jesus said to the lawyer when the lawyer asked him, what is the great commandment in the law? In Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to this. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So Jesus said, take the whole law, 600 some odd laws, boil it down to two. Love God, love others. Love your neighbor. Every means possible should be used to teach children that command. Especially as fathers, we need to use every opportunity to instill that in our kids. This means not only are we to be present and engaged. It means we need to be intentional and persistent because that will not just happen on its own. We have to live it out. We can't tell the kids love God and go do what we want. They have to see us model that before. them. No, it's not just love God. But what's the qualifier in that statement with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything you have is to love God and your neighbor. Now, very briefly, because we're running short on time, Jesus answers the question about who our neighbor is everyone's is our neighbor go read that about the good samaritan how jesus answered that we need to love our neighbors as we love ourselves there's a pastor named Roy, ray excuse me ray ortland who tells a very interesting story that illustrates this point he says 50 years ago my dad and mom gave me a new bible It was my senior year in high school, the first week of two day football practices, and I crawled home that day bone tired. Ma made a special dinner for me since it was my birthday and dad gave me a Bible with the following inscription. "Bud, nothing could be greater than to have a son, a son who loves the Lord and walks with him. Your mother and I have found this book our dearest treasure. We give it to you and doing so can give nothing greater. Be a student of the Bible and your life will be full of blessing. We love you, Dad, Philippians 1-6. He goes on to say, As I read these wonderful words from 50 years ago, it never occurred to me to think Dad doesn't really believe that. It's just religious talk. I knew he meant it because I watched him live it. He was a student of the Bible and his life was full of blessing and I wanted what he had. It took me a few more years to get clarity in some ways, Not surprisingly, but on this day so long ago, my dad said something to me that left a deep impression. It moved me then, and it still moves me now. Gave him a Bible, but he saw his dad live out that faith. And a lot of you in here, your kids are grown, they're living on their own. But let me tell you something: you still have can make you still make impressions on your kids. They still look to you. They may still call you and ask for advice. Hey, what do I do in this situation? Hey, what do I do here? Like I said, it never stops. It never stops. There should be no conflict on this topic in parenting. Because both parents should be proactive in communicating and implying the wills to instill this basic, as the Jewish would call it, Shema, into their lives of their children and we've asked this morning what the what the Bible teaches us about the role of parents well they're the primary instructors we need to calmly but firmly assertively teach them the things of God and that they're the highest value and to teach this is not something we do on Sunday this is a way of life isn't it interesting that maybe I'm only have thought about this but we come At some point of our life, we have any Christians in the house? Say amen. Okay, so one point in your life, you walk the aisle, as we say, you gave your life, maybe at church, maybe someone witnessing, you gave your life to Christ. So in that moment, you made the most important decision of your life that goes for all eternity. You're, you're trusting God and trusting the Lord Jesus to hold you firmly in their hands so at the end of time you can go to heaven with them. I, I can't think of any more Decision that's more important than that and we'll trust him for that, won't we? But sometimes it's the little things that we want to I think I know better than that God. I want to do this We have to truly let go and let God Love him with everything we have that he now has complete control over our lives So anything that we do be it job be where we go where we spend our money what we everything should be Through that lens and asking God, what is it you want me to do? You know what it means for us as men? We need to get out of our comfort zones. Because our sons and daughters, they they need us. They need you. And they need their mama too. They don't need you to be only to be present, but for you to model for them. They need to see you as a work in progress. God's uh, work in you as you continue to move forward in your walk with Christ. No one in this room including myself, have got it perfected yet. It's always something more to learn, something more to do. We are a work in progress. So if you're mad at me or upset with me or disappointed in me this morning in any shape, form, or fashion, God's still working on me. He's not done yet. Thank God that He's a give up and walk away. He keeps working with us. As long as we're willing and we confess and we repent, go back to him, you continue to work on us. There's no time off for parenting. It's 24-7. And guess what? It can rare you out. So we need to seek God's strength and guidance because there's going to be many times that you need it. And remember one thing. I'm going to drink to this to Corey and Courtney, but it's true for everybody. There's no one who cares more about your son than God does. He cares about more about Ryder than you do. That's how much love he has for them. And he wants to help guide you and direct you to raise him up to be a mighty man of God. I understand both your strengths and weaknesses of your parenting style and ask, how can I bring this into line, what God says? I want to end with this illustration, and uh, you'll see a picture of this. Perhaps you'll recognize what it's a picture of. That is Mount Everest. Never been up on Mount Everest, have you? Anybody ever climbed that thing? It's way up there. Now, this is the highest mountain on earth, and it has two standard routes that are used by climbers. Both routes represent a number of dangers, including frigid temperatures and monsoon category high winds. And they only have a limited time of months in the year to make their attempt, along with very tight time periods during the day to safely ascend and descend the mountain. So only can you go certain times a year, but when you're actually climbing it, you can only do it at a certain time. But the most dangerous obstacle is high altitude sickness. And in the most severe cases, your lungs will fill with fluid and swelling on the brain that will leave you so disoriented that you can't really think. And if that happens to you when you're climbing Mount Everest, that's how most people die. Now, it's not surprised surprise that even the most experienced climbers who climb this mountain seek people with special experience, and they are called Sherpas. And they're unique people because the generations, they lived in high altitudes. Their body's used to it. Have you ever gone up skiing after you've been in Forestburg or down here out of the mountains? Have you ever gone up to a high altitude? I went up to um, Clyde Croft, New Mexico. Dale Baptist encampments up there. And I started running around with the kids. It's about, what, 8,000 feet, 8,500 feet up, something like that. I started running, and I had to go for air, and I felt like I couldn't get enough oxygen in me because the air is much thinner. My body wasn't used to it, and you have to drink lots of water. But they inhabit this area around Mount Everest all their lives for generations, so they're used to it. And uh, they're used to high altitudes, and they have developed a genetic ability to function there. When most people start to have oxygen problems above 8,000 feet, they have an amazing endurance up to 23,000 feet. And since... They've gone up Mount Everest themselves many, many times. When it comes to knowing the weather patterns, there's no better, no better, no better person to climb with. But uh, one thing about these people, not only do they have the experience and they have the genetic ability in the high altitudes, but since they've been up and around Mount Everest and have made many trips up themselves, guess what they've learned? They've learned those times where you can just sit and stop and look off the mountain and see the beautiful creation. The valleys, the trees, they know some of the best scenic outlooks, if you will, to look out and stop. See, parenting is kind of like that. We've been up that mountain. We've grown up and we've experienced things that our kids haven't. And we know it's a hard climb. Life is hard, isn't it? Is it difficult at times? That's a hard thing to do sometimes. A parent went in and stepped in and rescue, them and then say, well, you know what? They have to learn this on their own. But we're like those experienced Sherpas. We've been up this before, so we know what it takes, and we are to guide our children, keep them safe. But at times, to stop and look around at the beauty of creation. That's one thing about kids. They appreciate everything. And they'll point out stuff that sometimes we're so focused we won't ever see. In parenting like that, we need the kids to say, hey, can we just stop and take a look at the beauty of this? of a sunrise, a sunset. Have ever been someplace that this really caught your eye? Wow, this is so beautiful. In closing, I, I, I'm not sure what place I've been. It's in Lookout Mountains called Ruby Falls, perhaps you heard of. It's in Tennessee around Chattanooga. And you take this elevator, you go right down in the middle of the mountain, and you walk this path way on back there. and uh, There's falls coming out. And they've actually gone up in there. Don't know for certain where the water comes in from. They know it comes from somewhere up on top of the mountain. But no one knows where. And we never go in these caves. If you've ever been to a cave, sometimes they'll turn out the lights. And man, oh man, it is so dark in there. You, you, seriously, you can't see your. You go out, you can't see your hand. So sometimes it'd be funny. Say, everybody, put your hand in front of your face and wiggle your fingers, and they turn the lights back on. And everybody starts laughing. But something dawned on me. As the lights went off. I was thinking how beautiful that cave was with the water coming down. Of course, they had lights on it. It was like I had a little conversation with God. I said, man, this is so beautiful. It's like a voice went off me. And, Tim, I did this in the dark. It's just creation is so beautiful and so majestic. We need to stop and look around. So kids help us do that, don't they? Remind us to stop smell the roses. We as the parents, we know what lies ahead. We've been down this road and we need to instruct them and also become their biggest cheerleader. Bible says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us continue on this race set before us, that we're not be so easily entangled with the sin, but to press on. That's why it's supposed to be our kids. Get them to that age and you just cheer them on, just cheer them on. That's what they need, they need that encouragement, they need that strength, they need it all. What is God asking you to do this morning? Perhaps, you never have, perhaps you've never given your life to Christ, you don't have a relationship with him. I invite you to do that today. Perhaps there's some things in your life that are causing problems between you and God, I would invite you to take care of that today. Whatever God's leading you to do, he's your heavenly father. There's nobody in the world that loves you more than he does. Take a look at the cross. He loves you. And guess what? He likes you. Because he created you just the way you are. He loves the way you talk and the way you handle problems. And he's reaching out to you. He'll never force himself on anybody. But if you come to him. If you draw near to God, as Scripture says, he will draw close to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for the gift of children. What a great blessing, but also a tremendous responsibility. And, Father, I pray where we are in the stage of life, new parents, our, our kids have grown, Props, most of us in here are grandparents, Father, continue, continue to give us wisdom, discernment, strength, and understanding, may they see, indeed, may everyone see your love in us. May we not just talk about who you are, may they see it lived out in our lives. Father, continue to speak and mold us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?